0: I remember what it was like to visit my grandparents in an old age home. My grandfather on my father's side passed away before making it to an old age home, but his wife, my grandmother on my father's side, uh, did go into an old age home and it was one right up the street from her where in her old age, she actually volunteered. So she knew everybody there and they knew her and they liked her and, Um, I think she was really glad to be away from her husband, so this was all working out just fine for her. I think she actually didn't mind it. And she also knew that she didn't want to be a burden on her children, Um, so for her, she had made, I guess, at least made peace with it, Uh, if not actually enjoyed being waited on hand and foot (laughs) in that old age home. On my mom's side, uh, a different story. Both of her parents went in at the same time, and um, they uh, both had developed different forms of dementia. Uh, neither of them ever wanted to be an old age home, and um, my grandfather on my mom's side was the, the first to go. He, I believe he rolled off the bed or something hurt himself and ended up uh, in the hospital. And actually, he died while I was there visiting. And uh, my grandmother uh, held out a little bit longer. um, And going to visit her was always awkward because she was not lucid at all in the normal sense. She had gone to sort of her happy place, which was apparently this, this hotel that her parents ran when she was a kid. And I think she thought me and my mom were married, and she thought that uh, her son, my uncle, was her husband. She thought she was a a young woman. She had no idea who she was or where she was, and she would walk around the cafeteria thanking people for coming to her party, you know, like (laughs) this kind of thing. So she she was pleasant in her dementia, and people seemed to like her. And um I think my mom really was the protector there. She has two brothers and all three of them would go to visit, but I think after a while, I think and I apologize if I'm mischaracterizing this, but my memory is that that um you know, it, it becomes tedious having to deal with these uh, parents in a home. And I think um she was of the three I think, left with the most responsibility or took helm of the responsibility. Um, maybe her and her one of her brothers did, but the third brother, uh, I think, became somewhat completely useless by the end of it. I, I mean, I could be mischaracterizing this, and I apologize, but it is in service to a point. Um, because either way, I'm sure this happens in other families, which is that in America, at least... Uh, we have to be happy with that. Like that is actually a good outcome. If you have a number of uh, kids and at least one of them is willing to put in the tireless effort to visit you, to go out of their way, to be with you, to do the financial stuff that has to be done and all the paperwork and all of that, um, then you're in pretty good shape. And, In reality, that's kind of a shame, isn't it? And so this gets me to thinking about healthcare in general in this country, uh, but also how we deal with old age uh, specifically. Um, And we hear all of the various um, reasons that our healthcare system is the way it is and, and how we treat the elderly is the way it is. And they're not Invalid reasons, I mean, there are political reasons um, having to do with the corporatocracy, uh, privatized insurance, lobbying politicians, the broken system, all of that. All of that is true. But the question that rarely, if ever, gets asked in that is, why are we okay with that? These are our parents. These are our grandparents. In the case of healthcare, these are everyone. <laughs> these are our children. They're everybody. Um, and with healthcare, it looks like the tide is turning in general to sort of a single payer model that like the rest of the quote unquote developed world has already adopted and we're sort of leaving ourselves behind, but no more. But the question again is why did it take this long uh, for the American people to care, to rise up, to protest, to lobby their congressional people, to even run for office to get rid of the bad politicians. Like what, what is it in us that will take it for so long? will take it on the nose, even though it directly affects us to the, to the point where we can hand over our power, as they say, uh, to the corporatocracy, to the politicians by uh, letting them get away with it, by just putting it off on them. If they're the boogeyman, then we don't have to deal with it. Why is that okay with us? I mean, on an individual level, if you were to ask people, is that okay with you? I think to a person we'd say no. But yet here we are in this situation and allowing it to happen as a society for so long. And I submit to you, if you will go down this rabbit hole with me, that the, at least the the unexpressed reason... And again, it's not the only reason, because these other reasons are also reasons. But the unexpressed reason that we allow these other reasons to be reasons for so long uh, is that we have a linear sense of time. And this linear sense of time creates a fear of death. Now, I talk about fear of death well, all the time, (laughs) all you all one need to do is go to www.ourundoing.com and we can talk about fear of death all the time, all all day long. But the context that I mean that in isn't necessarily just death, but the annihilation of self. And the example of that difference actually lies right here. My good pal and friend and buddy, Teokas and Ghost Horse, who is a Lakota speaker and activist of some renown, um, has explained how uh, the Lakota view of elders is that not that they're the past the way we see them as, the, we see elderly people as the past. They're old. But they see them as the future. This is what we're going to be. And they also see them as the past. Because when they die, well, that's in the past. But they're also still there. The elders never leave. Their sense of death is different than ours. So the elders are also the present. So the elders for them are the past, the present, and the future. And that reflects, not coincidentally, their sense of time. And so in their sense of time, there is no fear of death. Because there are just ever-present cycles. And so within those cycles, we exist physically and then not. But we exist. Now, this isn't something like religion, where religion has um, a version of heaven that you die into, right? Uh, Because a religion is something that you pick up. It's a book. It's a teaching or something like that that you have to pick up and then defend, right? And then believe in. You have to force yourself to believe in it if you're, you know, not at all gullible. You have to find a way to believe in it and then defend it and, and all of that. Uh, it's not exactly a culture that one is born into, um, that is a different type of knowing. It's a knowing through and through that this is how things are. It's not something you pick up along the way. And because it's not something you pick up along the way, it's not something that, um, blocks out a fear of death. It's something that, uh, naturally explains death in such a way that there is no fear created. Whereas the Bible or any Bible, really, it's like, you've got to believe in me. You've got to follow these rules. You've got to do all these things to get to heaven. So (laughs) you have to block out your fear of death uh, or pave it over with an afterlife. And even that afterlife might be scary or might not exist for you at all if you do the wrong things in life. Right. So these are different lenses through which we view death, even though both portend to n- not include fear. I mean, you can talk to religious people who are like, I don't fear death at all. Well, my answer is that you do fear annihilation, uh, which is why you've erected this religion in the first place. I would I would hazard a guess that even the Lakota fear annihilation, uh, which would be a, a, a deep body terror. I mean, the body itself doesn't want to die. Uh, we don't want to just roll over and die because that's, you know, we're alive. We're life. We're living. We want to remain living. So the annihilation, annihilation thing goes beyond even our sense of cyclical or linear time. But the fear of death itself Uh, I submit to you is associated with the sense of linear time with linear time. There's a cutoff point where you die (laughs) that is, that is acknowledged and is obvious because things do in fact, physically die. Right. Um, so when you don't want to deal with that, if the natural way to view it has more to do with what the Lakota say, which is not just the Lakota, right? I'm using that as an example, but any culture that has, um, remained, uh, with mother earth embedded in and acting within and on behalf of, in all ways, the interconnecting nature of all things, when they come to the same, uh, place with this or very similar places with this, um, that's something that we need to look at because we are not so interconnected, right? Right. We're fascinated by interconnecting that way, Uh, some of us, and some of us not, but we're not there in either case. Um, So when we look at our our fear of death due to our artificial sense of time or our superficial sense of time that is just based on the fact that things die and not on the totality that things die and are renewed, <laughs> right? And that all of life is a continuous cycle. Uh, when we just focus on the one thing, that things die, we t- tend to develop a fear of death because we're one of those things that are going to die. And so in that fear of death, um, due to our sense of linear time, grandma and grandpa have to pay the price. They, like our fear of death, have to be you know buried, as it were. They have to be out of sight, out of mind. We have to be unconscious of them, or, or else we have to confront our fear. And so we lock them away in homes. We say the elderly are, are just old. They're artifacts. They're relics. Um, or when they get dementia, when they get Alzheimer's, and they become unrecognizable to us, or we become unrecognizable to them, Uh, that is a further confirmation that we are going to die because if you can, if, if just your brain can turn to Swiss cheese and then you don't recognize anyone or anything, it really gets to the question. If you believe that you as a, an, a persona, the ego self that, that you are right now, if you believe that that person is, is what travels on in the afterlife and that person can be so changed around and switched up and annihilated in many ways in life. Then it, it begs the question who does go on afterward. If someone goes on, maybe it isn't you, maybe there is no afterlife the way we set it up. Somebody send help. So we want to ignore those questions Because they're questions about us that we have spent years, thousands of years blocking out, placating, telling ourselves it'll be okay. Believe in this, get this reward. Go on forever, eternally. Play a harp on a cloud, whatever it is. Raise your sword and be in Jesus's army. You know, whatever fun afterlife (laughs) bunch of virgins at your side, whatever it is. And all of these sound suspiciously silly to me, <laughs> by the way. I mean, did you ever think that all of our afterlife uh, d- hopes and dreams of what eternity would look like would, would end up being silly? Like a bunch of virgins that you can have sex with is one? That's ridiculous. Uh, holding a fiery sword in God's army, like going to war, we really want to bring your war mentality into the afterlife, into heaven? Ugh! Even playing a harp on a cloud is like, who likes harp music anymore? No offense, harpists, but you know what I'm talking about. So when we disconnect with nature, when we don't recognize our cyclical nature, the cyclical nature of, of time, and the beauty of it, when we only focus on this linear step-by-step unfolding that has a beginning and an end, then we want uh, to imagine that that continues on in a linear way or something, you know, continue continues on after death that we continue on after death. But we know that we're lying to ourselves on some level. And this is why uh, religious people, who go door to door and try to convert people do so because y- you, the only reason you convert someone to anything is when you on a deep fundamental level know you're incorrect and then because it's a matter of getting other people on your side so that you can go through life uh, with the lie that you are right um, the affirmations from other people that you're because because it's through their affirmations that you can tell yourself, you're okay, you're right. No, 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 this is right, this is right. And unconsciously, there's that little nagging voice, this is wrong, this is wrong. And you go, no, that's the devil, that's the devil on my shoulder. No, that's you. It's all you. It's all you running from the truth of existence, which, frankly, is what uh, most of us spend our entire lives doing. Um, and by the way, let's not get this twisted. We're not talking about oneness here, we're, uh, which is the whole perspective, the wholeness perspective, the, the pulled out camera ve- revealing the picture. Um, we're still within the picture of what are the correct mechanics, if you will, uh, within the picture. And the correct mechanics are uh, more aligned with what the nature cultures say than what the people of book cultures have reimagined. <laughs> so here we are fearing death, and in turn fearing age, and in turn fearing health. I mean, this is why healthcare at large has been uh, put on hold for so long, even though it affects us all. And again, hear what I'm saying it, it's not to say that. Um, the propaganda from the corporations and the paying off of politicians and all of that stuff, the oppression of people and all of that. It's not to deny that all of that has happened and is happening. It's to say that how do you not see through that when it affects you directly? There's only one reason you wouldn't see through that when it you know directly affects you, which is that some part of you doesn't want to. Because even talking about health issues, healthcare, and all that stuff reminds us of our mortality, reminds us of our aging, reminds us of death. And to sit with that, to really understand all of that, requires a stillness that is simply being with the issue, just sitting with it in silence, being the silence, quote unquote, itself. And we spend our entire lives doing things to block that out. We don't want to be silenced. We want to be loud. We want to self-expression, right? We want to express ourselves. We want to create. We imagine. We create. We express. We do, do, do. And uh, simply being is undoing. And we don't want to undo. That's scary because we equate that with Death. (laughs) And truly, it is death. It's death of the doer. But although we believe in resurrection, some of us who uh, are, for instance, Christians, uh, and even though we see a type of resurrection in nature, as with my favorite butterfly analogy, it's unclear that that is what we are, that we are beings who must slow off the self to resurrect as a broader, fuller, deeper, wholer version of ourselves. Because we think linearly, we've trained ourselves to believe that we can only get to whoever that person is uh, slowly through time, through evolution, through psychotherapy. Uh, Or for the, the quick fix, you could become a psychonaut, right? You could take DMT, you could take mushrooms, you could take ayahuasca, you can take a hallucinogen. And you can experience something that will blow your mind, man. But with the safe knowledge that you're not going to completely explode or implode, you're going to come back to normal. It will just have been an experience. And that experience will add to your personal evolution. So even those hallucinogenic journeys we treat as experiences for our linear, slow growth, personal evolution, right? They don't radically change us, not forever. They are states of mind that we visit, not stages upon which we live. And we say, if there is another stage, well, again, we'll get there with a psychologist, with a priest, with meditation, in the next life, in the afterlife after several lives and because we ignore the, the core truth uh, because we cover it over with a bunch of belief systems and wish fulfillments, self-fulfilling prophecies. One of the results of that, one of the shadow sides is that we treat the elderly like crap by and large institutionally. And, we treat healthcare as a secondary is- issue institutionally um, until it becomes so absurdly bad. And as the internet makes the world that much smaller, and we can see, wait a minute, other countries that have the same amount of money as us or even less have better healthcare systems. Wait, what is this about? Uh, as those two factors converge, well, then the great American beast wakes up and says, huh? Uh, This is wrong. What are we doing here? Of course, we haven't gotten that to that point yet with, with the elderly. And I think with the elderly, uh, the way that we treat the elderly, we have a different sense of family um, than a lot of other cultures who cherish family in a way, or, Uh, understand that they are always interconnected and they have to, you know, all that stuff. Part of our linear sense of time, uh, part of what goes with that is being the rugged individual, going through it. Branching out, discovering, exploring new things in the amount of time that we have. Like, we're always looking for the next new thing, new, new, new. We're always looking to discover, to explore, to go. Because we don't want to deal with the now. We don't want to deal with what's right in front of us. That's, everything we do is a diversion. And as a result, you know, we give up a, a great sense of family, um, in some sense, of relating to people. Because that type of get up and go and move, and eh, eh, it creates a certain isolationist mentality. Um, because you've got to put on blinders and go, you've got to ignore all of the interconnecting nature around you and your village, right? Like to go and do other things. Um, if there's no contentment, then how can you even relate to other people? Uh, so it gets harder and harder to even maintain a family structure in that sense. Family is something that you outgrow and you move on. And even if you make a home uh, in a nice little community somewhere, well, you can always choose to leave that too. If you had a sense of time that that didn't create a fear of death, you wouldn't feel pressed to see it all right away, to do everything like it would just wouldn't that that mentality wouldn't be you if that is you now. Of course, not everyone listening to this has the same mentality, so let's not get confused and paint everyone with the same brush. That's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm just saying that the sense of linear time is interconnected with our fear of death. And that does create the same several patterns of mentality that we then go out into the world with and um, build up our societies with. And often our personal sense of right and wrong is divorced from the societal sense it's divorced from the institutions that we support and that support us. Uh, we're, we're schizophrenic that way. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, if we have any sense of wanting to relate, we say we're, we found our tribe. Right? We're tribal. This is what the, the new fashion thing to say is. We're tribal. And so politically, that means uh, I will support my political side, whether they're right or wrong. Um, because they're my tribe. And so facts uh, at that point become, become unimportant. But it's also in the head. I mean, how weird is it that, you know, facts are unimportant, but you're still stuck in your head where that's where, you know, on our good day, we're logical and we enjoy facts, right? People who are stuck in their head. Uh, but not anymore. Now they're just stuck with associations. And not even ideals that they believe in necessarily, but just what side can I be on so that I can express anger that seems to be unattached to anything at this point? And I think a large unacknowledged reason that this has gained momentum isn't just conservative news outlets and this. I mean, yes, all of that, all of that, yes. But add to that the fact that after 2012, I've said this before and I'll say it again, after 2012, after the Mayan calendar prophecy of December, whatever it was, December 21st, 2012, I think it was, uh, where the Mayan calendar was supposed to end and then the world was going to what, end, renew, change, something, some big cataclysmic thing, it never happened. Uh, Jesus never came back. He didn't come back in 2000, uh, even though we partied like it was 1999. (laughs) There was no Y2K bug that hit. He didn't come in 2001, which was then the real day. And then like the last real prophecy on earth was 2012. That's all we had left to go. Hmm. I wonder if I can put all of my, I wonder if I can superimpose my religious shtick on that. If I can culturally appropriate from the Mayans, something I don't even understand and say, "Oh, that's when it's all going to happen. Um. But then that came to pass and nothing. And so, With our linear sense of time, uh, what goes into our religion uh, is an ending, right? Because linear sense is beginning and ending. And a lot of people wanted an ending to their pain in life. They didn't want to wait for heaven. They wanted Jesus to come back and tell them you're special and you're coming with me. Um, Or the new agey people wanted... Um, I don't know the densities to change and to go into the higher density, the fifth dimension, the whatever pseudo scientific words they think sound good. That's what they wanted. And none of this happened. And we were stuck with ourselves. We realized there is no savior coming to save us. There is no end to our pain. Maybe time isn't linear. Crap. And so now a whole bunch of us feel like like we're rats trapped in a cage. We're suffocating. It's making us upset and angry and depressed. And for that, we give ourselves drugs that give us all kinds of other awful side effects. I mean, this country is so drugged up at this point, we're probably crazy and don't even know it. (laughs) We've taken so many antidepressants. Uh, and illegal substances as antidepressants. I mean, all of it. I'm not saying just illegal drugs or legal drugs, but all of it. we a pill-popping culture. Why are we a pill-popping culture? And what happens to the mind of people who are constantly in an altered state just to get by? What do we become? What have we become? And Why? Maybe if time won't end, then we can literally change our minds. We can change them to something else. Something that we're still included in. I mean, not like dementia where we look and we go, ugh, uh-oh, I guess I don't know what a person is. Maybe all those materialists are right and we're just a bunch of neuronal packs and when they go haywire, um, we're no longer who we were. We don't want to look at that. We want to bring that person with us when we go. So we do these mind-altering substances. We say, we feel better. I feel better. I can get through the day. I'm better. And then we go online and troll each other and get angry again. (laughs) This is how we relate to each other now, right? (laughs) But this is all just to illustrate how quickly and how far we will run like those rats in a cage, on a wheel. We'll just keep doing the wheel, going nowhere fast, instead of stepping off and being silence and coming to a complete understanding of time and timelessness. Because what is silence? What is nothingness? What is being when we stop all this doing? What is that halted state if you want to call it that that we think we're running away from but are actually running in place that is the death you fear but it's also the eternal life you've been looking for